Many experts believe we have to make significant strides in becoming a carbon neutral planet by 2030 if we want to reverse the impacts of climate change. This podcast exists to help everyday people reduce their carbon footprint in a practical way and become a part of the solution. It's time to rise up and join the carbon neutral movement. This is the Carbon Neutral Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Carbon Neutral Podcast. First off, I wanted to apologize for missing the week prior to last. I had mentioned that I was going to be taking a week off, but I ended up taking two weeks off. Of course, I had the intentions of recording, but unfortunately, it's just been a little hectic. Um, So today we're actually going to be doing something a little bit differently Uh, As you guys know, I've been in the process of moving, so we were up in Portland and I was getting ready. Uh, So we've taken now two weeks off, so what I'm going to be doing is covering the news that we've missed in the last two weeks as well as this week, so three weeks, and we're going to split those out into three segments. So we'll cover the first segment will be two weeks ago, then it's going to be a week ago, then it's going to be this week. So hopefully you guys find that interesting. There's tons of information. We're actually going to be covering 10 articles throughout each week. And then in the newsletter, if you're interested, you're going to have uh, access to 10 more articles. Uh, So a total of 40 if you're signing up for the newsletter. The first newsletter was going to be going out last week, but or two weeks ago, but this it's actually going to be this week. So still have time to sign up for the first newsletter. And uh, with that said, I also wanted to give you guys that personal update about how the move is going. So we're moving to Portland. I'm going to be moving up there first. I'm going to be moving in a matter of 18 days, 17 days when you guys hear this. And yeah, it's really exciting. Um, I have no intentions of stopping the podcast anytime while moving up there. I'm going to be alone for the first five and a half weeks or so. And then coming back down to Los Angeles at the end of May, uh, where my wife's going to be graduating from grad school. And then we're going to be packing up the entire apartment that we have down here and moving everything up there to Portland at the end of May. So with that said, I will be recording, like I said, as usual. uh, And then we're going to call the season, so to speak. I'm calling this season one. Once we get up there around uh, late May, and it's probably going to start back up around late June, so I'll take about three to four weeks off just so I can move in and get settled and kind of get acclimated to the change because it's it's kind of a lot. So that said, I'm going to be wrapping up season one with around 16 episodes, which includes the introductory uh, podcast, and I think that's going to be pretty similar to what I'll be doing going forward. So I'll record about 15 episodes consecutively and then take a few weeks off, uh, maybe up to a month. We'll see how I kind of feel. I just want to make sure that I feel fresh for you guys. I'm also going to be doing other things. Uh, As you guys know, this podcast is meant to be one piece of the Carbon Neutral Project, which is what I'm trying to still create. So I'm working on the website and working on all of the different resources that we're going to be providing. The newsletter is that second resource, which I have not even had the time to do. So I want to make sure that I kind of get all my ducks settled and situated. 
I also have two side hustles that I'm going to be working on. So just trying to balance everything out. And with that said, I got to just be as transparent with you guys as possible. Um, I'm also trying to get back into recording some YouTube content, which I put about 30 uh, videos out in a year and haven't really done a whole lot since I've launched this podcast. So a lot of balancing, but uh, needless to say, I will be here. Don't you uh, worry about that. We'll we'll still be doing this podcast. And speaking of which, I'm actually going to pull up the stats for how things are going. We crossed the 500 mark, which is awesome. 500 downloads, definitely a milestone in my mind. And we also have our first episode to get over 100 plays, which is the Carbon Offsets episode. So if you guys found us or found me through that episode, uh, make sure to check out the others because there's a lot of other really good ones. The 2030 podcast was second, and that has 72 plays. And then Carbon Capture Technology has 69. Introduction has 57. And the last one we did has 49. We are at 38% United States uh, ge- geographically, and I think that makes up about 17 states of the 38%. And then we have well over 30 countries uh, that have now listened into the podcast, which is great. 50% of which are coming from Spotify, 31 from Apple Podcasts. So those are the majority of, of where we're hearing or where people are listening. So just wanted to kind of fill you guys in. I think that at least from my perspective, when I'm listening to a podcast, it's always interesting to kind of hear how things are going. Um, and there's still obviously so much room to grow. So really looking forward to that. With that said, let's go ahead and jump into the first segment where we're going to be talking about news from two weeks ago. All right. So for this first segment, we're going to be talking about 10 updates from two weeks ago. We're going to be going through 10 each segment. And so with that said, we're not going to go into too much detail. The idea of this episode is just to make sure that we all get caught up on what's happened because there's going to be updates for next week that could tie into information that came out a few weeks ago. So I figured it's really important to start here. Then we can pick up hydrogen, which is something that I initially was going to be recording this episode on. Um, But because we missed that week, I figured let's just catch everyone up, make sure we're all on the same page. I'm going to be letting you know uh, a quick summary of of each article. Some I'm just going to read the headline, quite honestly, because they're just more like updates per se. But uh, for this first example, this is by Grist, and it's an article by Shannon Osaka. It's about how the oil's biggest lobbying group, the American Petroleum Institute, used to uh, kill carbon prices, and now it's supporting them. And it's a really fascinating piece because it gives you more of a historical uh, context around uh, where carbon pricing, uh, where the American Petroleum Institute has sort of like uh, pushed carbon pricing and almost really dictated uh, the narrative around carbon pricing and now how the, you know, given how strong they are and, and um, because it's it's basically the top oil companies is who they're talking about. This lobbying group has such a strong voice, and it's so interesting to see only 12 years later them take such a an opposite standpoint. And it starts off talking about how they ran an ad in the Washington Post. It said, if you like $4 gasoline, you'll love the House Climate Bill. And obviously this was during Obama's first term when, gallons, uh, when a gallon of gas could barely... 
uh, cost barely 270 and the coalition of 600 companies in the oil and gas industry top lobbying group was fighting against the Waxman-Markey Act, landmark legislation to put a price on carbon emissions across the country. So this is a really fascinating ad. I, I found it, or sorry, article, I found it really informative for somebody like myself. Back in, you know, 12 years ago, I was 13 years old. So there was a lot for me to, to learn Um and so, yeah, I, I just thought this was a, an interesting piece, sort of more of a historical piece, not really an, uh, you know, what happened this week update, but definitely was worth throwing in here. So that's the first piece from two weeks ago. The next piece is a, an article from uh, Jeriel Arvin from The Vox, and it talks about one weird trick to fix climate change, and that is closing the offshore wealth loophole. So what they're saying here is... Uh, it starts off by talking about how governments have long tried pricing carbon, so it sort of relates to the last article to induce companies to make kind of serious emission reductions actually needed to address the climate emergency. And they've done this by imposing a carbon tax, which is an additional fee for each ton of carbon dioxide emitted or through cap-and-trade schemes, which give companies limited allowances for how much CO2 they can emit and then allow them to buy and sell those allowances to offer more flexibility. The offer, the idea is that pricing carbon will decrease CO2 emissions over time by making polluting um, expensive that so that the companies uh, basically have to find other ways to, uh, cleaner ways to operate. However, pricing carbon hasn't been very effective and taxing carbon has been proven to be unpopular in many places around the world. So it's sort of, this article is, basically talking about we have a problem with the way that we're currently handling it, so how might we be able to uh, change um, and get better, uh, you know, more effective ways of, of going about, you know, this solution? Or, you know, how do we tax carbon? How do we get companies ultimately to work cleaner is, is the root of this. So now this article mentions it's basically an interview with uh, Jessica F. Green, an associate professor of political science at the University of Toronto. And her focus is global environmental politics. And she argues that partly the this hasn't stopped governments from trying it because uh, focusing on the technicalities of carbon pricing is a good way to avoid addressing the harder problem that actually ends fossil fuel uh, use. So we've been in working on how to measure carbon for 30 years, and we're still debating on how we can uh, refine what is uh, being used. And uh, ultimately, it's easier to do that than it actually is to decarbonize, is what she's saying. So she put out a new paper that climate change is not a market failure to be fixed through mechanisms like carbon pricing. Rather, she sees it as a problem of societal, societal transformation that requires strong state intervention to reorganize the economy. So this whole article uh, is really about uh, sort of looking at it from a societal perspective and um, taking it into our own hands, so to speak. And it's uh, kind of back and forth between Jeriel and Jessica in the article. I thought it's a really fascinating read. I'm going to stop it there and then feel free to pick it up. So that article, once again, is One Weird Trick to Fix Climate Change, Close the Offshore Wealth Loophole. Now, the next one is about China and its aims to uh, reach carbon neutrality by 2060. So this new five-year plan, uh, they put out a new five-year plan. It's also by Vox, but many people covered this one. 
the uh, main issue that comes with this article is that this this plan that they put out there is not going to be enough and basically could allow emissions to keep growing through 2025. And um, ultimately, what this article and many other articles out there are saying is that China needs to sort of crack down a little bit more. There are other things that China is doing well generally uh, across the board when it comes to, uh, you know, handling carbon neutrality. But the big picture, they're not doing a, a, a great job. So the reason I think that this is really important to cover, though, is to not that we can necessarily keep them accountable as, as listeners, but I mean, they're one of the I think they're the second largest footprint in uh, when you when it comes to companies or countries sorry so just wanted to kind of inform you that that's uh that's a really good place to begin doing your own research uh because i think that china in a lot of ways just like the u.s dictates a lot of the um the ways of in which processes or, or things are going so we're not getting into a much better topic. Now we're going to be talking about an article from The Guardian, and that is that uh, Boris Johnson is failing on the UK, the UK plan to reach net zero. And so this article says ministers are failing to instruct their departments to take the net zero goal into the account when setting policy, and there has been little coordination between central and local government on achieving emission reductions, and the public has not been engaged, the Public Accounts Committee said in a report published on Friday. So this would have been posted on uh, Friday, March 5th. And so, yeah, the article, basically, similar to how Australia, there just has not been uh, good alignment from the governmental parties and reaching out to the public. I think the UK might be from a public standpoint the most outspoken country that i've seen just from an outside perspective on climate change so i'm hoping that an article like that coming out you know i i just with these last few stories that we've been talking about they're they're sort of negative and i try to keep a positive mind to a lot of these stories but i'm just hoping that having this transparent dialogue is going to allow us to keep uh, the governments and the UN accountable for uh, the plans that we're putting out there because the worst thing uh, the worst feeling in the world for me is promoting this podcast and and doing it in a way that is disingenuous you know disingenuous to you guys because at the end of the day yeah we can make a difference but at the same time it's really important that the companies and, and countries that really are what's causing the uh, climate issues that we face today, that they are the ones that are cleaning up the act. And I think it's our job to use our voice, set set ourselves as an example, use our voices, and keep them accountable. So that said, let's talk about something a little bit uh, different and slightly more positive. So this comes from the Smart Energy Inter International. Kellogg's, uh, which is obviously a global brand, um, is looking to power Texas operations with Enel's first large-scale wind and storage hybrid plant. And so, yeah, the article goes on to say, 
But renewable energy was criticized recently in Texas after they failed to ensure grid uh, reliability during the extreme weather event. However, pairing renewables with energy storage is expected to improve the resilience of grid networks, especially during harsh weather conditions like the one that we have in Texas. So this is really good news because as anytime something goes down, you shouldn't just quickly try to just fix it and move on. The goal would be to sort of reassess how you guys were handling it. Uh, when I say you guys, I mean the uh, company in charge or the, the government. Uh, there's many entities that are you know sort of involved. I think of uh, General Electric when there was the fires two years ago in California. We, we have wildfires every year in recently the wildfires we had here in California were the worst they've ever been but there the one in 2019 that came out was uh basically uh G, it was on GE because they didn't do uh, a regular maintenance checkup and that's what caused the fire and they were sued like a ridiculous amount of money uh so much so that i, I honestly don't think they i think they had to in some way they had to go bankrupt because they just were not going to be able to pay off that debt. And the, the whole point of when these things fail, we should make sure that we're fixing them. So that's, that's a really good sign to hear that. Now the next story comes from the guardian as well. And they're talking about how Australia in an effort to get rid of plastic waste next year, they're going to be cutting polyesterine. Polyesterine is, Think of the uh, food delivery, like the to-go for, uh, like the to-go box for Chinese um, food. I mean, that's just the one that comes up most commonly to me. Um, not like the uh, origami style box, but more of like the like the plastic box. So this is a uh, really important because I mean, plastic waste is obviously an issue. But something I'm actually really thinking about lately is how much everybody's eating out nowadays or not eating out, sorry, delivering in and how, I mean, there's, it's not much more expensive. I've done some research on like biodegradable, uh, delivery packaging. It's super affordable, especially at obviously a bulk, but the difference in price, it's, it's such an easy fix. And I'm hoping that this is something the United States will also do, uh, I'm actually, one of the side hustles I'm thinking about doing when I go up to Portland, in order to offset, because we're actually going to be paying double rent for two months, in order to offset that, uh, I'm getting my electric scooter, which I'm super excited about, and I'm going to, I think I'm going to do DoorDash or Postmates delivery, and so, you know, handling that, you know, the plastic packaging, it just, part of me feels guilty. Uh, I, I actually plan on ordering out quite often while I'm up in Portland because a lot of local businesses are being hit pretty hard, especially in the downtown area because it hasn't opened up uh, very much, I should say. It's opened up a little bit, but it just, it, it could be a lot better. And uh, so, yeah, I, I want to go there and make a difference by supporting local businesses. And my goal, and it's a little harder with the pandemic, my goal is to bring either Tupperware or some sort of a uh, clean uh, transportation uh, food transportation uh, 
box of some sort that they can just put my food in so that I don't have to contribute to throwing away, um, you know, all this single use plastic. So something that you guys can consider too, obviously you don't have to, um, you don't have to deliver food to solve that problem. But that was just a side note that I'm thinking about doing that could be fun. So anyways, let's get on to the next article. Italy's EV charging infrastructure is about to get a high power boost. This is the first time we're talking about Italy. Um, I'm Italian, so I thought this was cool to finally get a story from, uh, it looks like Clean Technica wrote this, Carlo Umbello. And they, in this article, it shows the different supercharging and uh, destination charging stations that are going to come through Tesla's supercharger network in Italy. So it says that this will create a completely new backbone for the growing EV fast charging infrastructure of the country, which uh, has so far been championed by an Italy, uh, Tesla, and Ionity. And in, it says in 2018, following Tesla's blueprint, Ionity entered the scene as the first HPC operator to challenge the supercharger network throughout the Europe. Since then, the joint venture has spread over the continent as a sustained pace. At a sustained pace, the first Ionity station in Italy opened just two years ago, and its presence has now grown to around 20 stations, with a plan to open up uh, around 60 stations by the end of 2021 so you know fairly large growth within one year and the map that they show in this article gives you an understanding it's like it's basically google maps that shows you where these stations are going to be located a lot of these are uh, the map is showing like in switzerland where things are at in the northern italy unfortunately uh, my my family's from the south, uh, in like Naples area. There's not really much going on down there, so hopefully it continues to make itself down to southern Italy. Um, but yeah, no, this is really really good stuff. All right, so for the last three here, I'm not gonna go into detail just because I don't want to drag on the segment too long. Uh, there's a, an article by the Guardian talking about how climate change in Australia could put insurance out of reach for many Australians and this is largely due to um, some of the natural disasters that have happened recently and if they continue to happen I mean we've talked about some of the issues with uh, summer sports recently and obviously the fires are the ones that come top of mind Um, yeah it's just it's a concern uh, to be thinking about and not something that uh, we all have on the top of our minds. I mean, insurance is one of those things that I think is essential. And, um, yeah, just just an issue. It's, it's hard to even really speak on to it. Uh, yeah, so let's go on to the next one. Volvo says it will only make electric cars by 2030 so that's a really exciting announcement many of these car companies are are doing this and then lastly it looks like Colombia is really taking off with evs and they are sort of setting the standard for latin america um building out the infrastructure so we'll talk about them down the road i think that's really exciting but just for the sake of keeping this segment somewhat short we're gonna go ahead Take a break, come back, and talk about uh, the news from last week.
Starting this podcast has already been such a rewarding experience. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to connect with people all over the world in a way that is so meaningful and impactful. The beautiful thing about this podcast is that we're all connected to carbon neutrality no matter where the location is. We have nearly 30 countries listening in each week, and I want to make sure that you feel represented for the podcast. So I created a form where you can submit a story for an upcoming episode for the this week's climate change segment. You can also share the story with me on Discord if you've already joined there. So please share a story that interests you. Perhaps it's a story that hits close to home or it's just a topic that we haven't talked about much. I look forward to reading and sharing your stories in an upcoming episode. With that said, let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, so let's talk about the news from last week. We have a lot uh, of stories for EVs specifically. Um, so firstly, Tesla China reaches another milestone. They have 6,000 supercharger installations. So we just talked about Italy in the last segment. They have 60, or they're going on 60. China has 6,000. Obviously, it's a much larger population. And so really, really cool to hear that. Next, Tesla is building the first superchargers in Israel. So another uh, similar story. And lastly, I thought this was really cool for the United States. Tesla is coming to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And many people here in the United States know that Michigan used to be the, uh, you know, car manufactured capital of the country. And you could argue uh, North America I mean, potentially even one of the top ones in the world, especially back, you know, in what I would guess the the highlight would have probably been between the 50s through the 70s and 80s, if I had to guess. Um, so, yeah, Tesla coming to Grand Rapids, especially with how everything is going, you know, GM uh, is going to be going into electric. This, to me, screams uh, partnerships. and And so... Tesla's largely been giving out the blueprint of how they have been building out their vehicles and just sort of giving it to these other manufacturing, I mean, these other uh, models and makes so that they can use all of the research and development that uh, Tesla put out. And really, it's just Elon Musk saying, like, we all need to get on the same page. So continual uh, innovation coming from Tesla is probably going to reach it to these uh, other dealers in in the area. So GM specifically is who I'm thinking about, you know, Chrysler, those, those different ones there. So now a few headlines. Um, there was an article or a report that came out that mentioned that 20.6% of the U.S. electricity in 2020 came from renewable energy. Uh, Nokia announced that they're going to cut their carbon emissions in half by uh, 2030. And then there was another article here. Vox talked about the mega drought that is parching 77% of the western United States with rising temperatures and lack of rain threatening to decrease water supplies and uh, bringing more wildfires this summer and years to come. So this piece really hits home. If you don't know, here in the western United States, especially in California, we have a drought that's been ongoing. And now it's not just California that's sort of getting uh, headway or, you know, media coverage. And, you know, 
it's really dry living the majority of the western united states is really dry i mean pacific northwest is the only area in the united states here on the west side that gets just a ton of of rain and i gotta be honest like just coming back and forth between portland and california it's unreal how my skin feels here in california even like or you know if i if i'm coming from california I go up to oregon in just a matter of two days my skin feels so much clearer it feels moist um it doesn't feel like dry whereas when i come back to california i need to use lotion like immediately because my back itches even just like stretching it's just it's i'm just so much drier here and so this article goes into uh some some history around uh droughts and kind of sort of painting projections around what what could come and just a really fascinating read. I would highly recommend it. So let's go on to the next one here. It says that TV climate coverage dropped 53% in 2020. Uh, that's not good. That's why we're doing this podcast. And I think it's really important that obviously news coverage is going to only really talk about things that are top priority. So COVID was mainly that all year, but uh, that's why it's important for people like you and I to have these discussions and not be afraid to share uh, our knowledge on the subject and, and continue to read articles. So um, that one was super important to put in here. Next, this one's a really cool story, actually. This is by EcoWatch, Savannah Hasty, so or Hasty. Um, there's a new partnership in Canada that's making the world's longest hiking trail more accessible. So there's a great trail in Canada that's recognized as the world's longest recreational trail for hiking, biking, and cross-country skiing created by the Trans-Canada Trail and various partners. The great trail consists of a series of smaller interconnected routes that stretch from St. John's to uh, Vancouver and even into Yukon and Northwest Territories. It took nearly 25 years to connect the 27,000 kilometers of greenway in ways that were safe and accessible to hikers. And now, th thanks to this new partnership with the Canadian Paralympic Committee and Access Now, the TCT is increasingly uh, making this accessible throughout the Great Trail for people with disability. So, really cool. I, I got to go see this trail. It's funny because in uh, Portland or in, in the Pacific Northwest area, we have a St. John's and uh, Washington has Vancouver. So pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but no, that's really cool. I mean, really isn't climate change or carbon neutrality specific, but in a way it is. Let's get on to the next one here. China. This is actually in the headline of this uh, podcast. China is going is China going vegan, plant-based foods on the rise in the world's most populous country. In China, an increase in prosperity has driven an increase in meat consumption, but that may be changing. Concerns about the environment and pandemics like the coronavirus have made a growing number of people hungry for meat alternatives. The Guardian reported so they shout out their Guardian here in in this article at the same time that plant-based meat market in the country is growing to satisfy this need. And analysis say that China could even become a global player in the industry. With a local abundance of non-GMO soybeans and a huge capacity to process plant-based 
raw materials, including soy and pea, China has the potential to play a major role in accelerating the plant-based meat trend around the world by increasing production and bringing down costs. This is really exciting for myself. I'm sure many of you listening are vegetarian or vegan, and uh, I've been vegetarian for about, coming on three years here, and so the more options that there are out there the better obviously it's come a long way over the last five years and that's what's allowed it so much easier for me to sort of partake and um, Oregon Portland specifically is known as one of the most vegan friendly places so I would love to see China come in and play I know that um, there's a lot of innovation that can still be had so really cool and then lastly more of just a uh a headline, uh, it says that Michael Regan became the first black man to head the Environmental Protection Agency. So that's just, uh, I mean, it, it kind of, this is a story that is more about uh, equality. It, obviously, we're going through tough times the last, I would say, since the summertime, you know, with the George Floyd um protests and everything that's gone on i think joe biden's been extremely uh in tune with with what is needed in the country specifically so he's hired more african-american leaders throughout so this is just another really uh cool example to see and uh yeah with that said let's go ahead and take a a little bit of a break, and we're going to get into the final segment where we talk about this week's uh, climate change news. This episode is brought to you by 1% for the Planet. At 1% for the Planet, they state their purpose plainly. They exist to ensure that our planet and our future generations thrive. However, achieving this goal requires a multifaceted approach that addresses both environmental and social justice issues. They've outlined a list of nonprofit organizations that work at the pivotal intersection of race and the environment. And they also make it very easy to identify brands that share this same passion. So what does it mean to be 1% for the planet? Well, they offer two different types of memberships, business and individual. You can enroll your business or yourself to join by donating 1% of your revenue or your salary to the approved nonprofits via monetary donations or volunteer support. Individual members will have the chance to belong to a diverse and powerful global network that supports a full spectrum of environmental solutions. Additionally, I highly encourage you to check out their company directory to learn more about who is investing their 1% and making a difference today. And you can also find nonprofits. They have a separate directory for nonprofits. Get involved for free by supporting 1% for the Planet businesses and join the movement by becoming an individual member by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back into the episode. All right, so let's talk about the final 10. Thank you guys for making it with me so far. I thought that this was going to be a little easier to get through, but it, it is a lot. There's a lot of stories. Um, I'm going to try to make this as interesting as possible because what I was thinking, and it'll be interesting, you guys feel free to leave me uh, recordings, as I always say, to hear your, your thoughts on an episode like this where we just sort of go through news because when I break from different seasons and take a few weeks off, there's a lot of information that, like like you are seeing, 
that happens from week to week. So I was thinking as an introduction episode to come back from uh, each season, I would do an episode just like this. So let me know what you guys think of this. I think it's super informative. I'm hoping so for you guys. Mind you, I did a ton of research to find all of this information. So um, in a way, it's easier to do these articles or these these episodes, but in a way, they're actually slightly more difficult um, because when you're researching a specific topic, you really go deep into that topic, whereas here it's more of, I mean, I, I get the gist of the articles, but uh, I'm not about to give you these in-depth analysis about each of them. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into segment three here. Uh, the first one here is the first, um, let's see, the first two or three are more just headlines. So the Mini Cooper, um, BMW's Ionic, or Iconic Mini Coopers are going to be going all electric by 2030. And the Chevy Bolt, which is one of the, uh, I guess you could say it's popular um options for EVs here in the United States is going for as low as 107 per month. Now, these are not the most attractive vehicles in my opinion, but they're not bad either. Like they're they're a pretty cool option. Uh I was a little um I was a little upset that they got rid of the Volt to be honest. I thought that those looked pretty cool and they replaced it with the Bolt. But uh yeah, no, $107 a month. That's really Really awesome to see the, that affordability. It's leading us into the right direction. And the Chevy, I, I had a Chevy Cruze. I mean, that's, they're pretty solid vehicles, so definitely worth looking into. Uh, let's talk about a story that's sort of getting some mainstream um, news, and this is from TechCrunch. So Volkswagen will bring 240 gigawatt hours of battery production capacity to Europe by 2030. And this article is talking about how they're starting to rival Tesla, uh, Volkswagen, and give uh, give them a run for their money. And yeah, no, I just I think that I mean there's not much outside of the headline, but I think this is a really exciting time to be following EV. So I I talk a lot about EV on this podcast because I think it's uh one of the the best innovations for carbon neutrality. So that said, we're going to be talking about Volvo next, and we're going back to Italy. They are now planning their own uh, public fast charging network in Italy. So Volvo, being that they... Uh, I can see a map here, actually, uh, of the different options. Very similar to um, the other map that we saw... A lot of northern Italy, and then there's really no options. I mean, there's a few options at the very boot of Italy, and then in Bari, which is like two hours away from Naples, where my family's from. There's one in Rome, which is sort of like central Italy. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of this, and I'll be honest, it's probably a lot to do with uh, just the financial situation. In Italy, I mean, southern Italy doesn't have the uh, the income that northern and in, in mid, uh, whatever you want to call it, just the mid portion, like Rome area of Italy. So I guess that makes sense, but uh, really, really cool to see. Um, all right, now let's get into a story that was awesome. So these, these next stories actually hit home. 
so Italy, obviously, they just hit home because I'm Italian. I'm a huge Philadelphia sports fan, so I, I follow Philadelphia for a lot of different things. And there are some migratory birds coming through Philadelphia right now that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a peak migration uh, season, and they've had a few uh, dead birds that have uh deceased from you know just going through a city but they decided that overnight there's going to be uh, they're going to dim the lights the city lights to help with these migratory birds just to make it a little easier for them to get through the city so I thought that, that was a really uh, a really nice thing to hear about I mean uh, you don't often see cities uh, well informed with my like migrations I, I just haven't heard anything like this before so I thought that was really unique and, and um, personally being that I love Philadelphia I think Philadelphia gets a, a bad rep for a lot of bad rap for a lot of different things so that was cool now this next one really hits close to home Camarillo California I graduated from Camarillo my family lives there they have uh, announced a partnership or a deal that they approved a contract with the Clean Coalition to oversee the design solar-based microgrids at five critical city facilities that will incorporate Tesla batteries. This is crazy because this deal that they got, um, it says that the battery will be paid by the California Public Utility Commission's Equity Resiliency Self-Generation Incentive Program. That is a terrible name. Um, The commission in May added an equity resilience component uh, to its SGIP, which with more than $1 billion in funding through 2024. Uh, let's see, where does it talk about the, the end deal? So it says that um, the battery, which can power, or sorry, right above it, it says, we've never seen anything like this in our careers where the entire cost of the batteries, the hardware, 10 years of maintenance, operations, and service are being entirely paid for. So... It's like 2.2 million of 3 million of the costs for this projects have been paid for by um, the California Public Utilities Commission's Equity Resiliency Self-Generation Incentive Program, which is crazy that Camarillo is going to be benefiting from this. It says that by charging the battery during off-peak hours and using it on peak, Camarillo will save at least $90,000 a year. So... Really uh, crazy to see this hit home. I never thought I'd be talking about Camarillo uh, on this podcast. So, yeah, it's, it says the battery, which can power the wastewater treatment plant for about 11 hours being uh, recharged, comes with a 15-year warranty and 10 years of O&M coverage. The plant, which has a backup diesel generator, had 16-hour outage in January, according to Andrew Grubb, the city's senior civil engineer. So... Uh, Next, we have Etsy. Etsy takes aim at shipping and packaging, uh, basically in setting a 2030 net zero goal. And I was just looking at Etsy this week, and they offset all of their their shipping, so they do carbon offsets. And now they're aiming for uh, net zero 2030 goal. So in my opinion, Etsy is becoming... uh, for the e-commerce space really becoming a leader in the space when it comes to carbon neutrality. So that's a really cool headline. Um, 
Now, this article was really interesting. It was by The Guardian. It says that feeding cows seaweed could reduce their contribution to climate change. And it is uh, sort of a hypothesis. And the article talks into detail about uh, how changing their diet basically uh, from, you know, cows, basically it's the farting that causes uh, the heating of, well, it's obviously not just their farting that causes the heating of the climate, but that's a large part of it uh, when it comes to agriculture. So that's fascinating. Uh, I wonder how they began to test that. I mean, the article sort of gets into that, but I'm not going to get into it just because there's a few more pieces here that I want to cover. But yeah, I thought that one was really interesting uh, to bring up to your attention. This was my favorite uh, article that we covered, and it's also in the uh, title of this episode. So GameStop, for many of you that may not know, here in the United States there was, and we talked a little bit about it, there was a situation which uh, on Reddit there were some investors that basically saw an opportunity to invest in GameStop to make a ton of money. And it was a whole ordeal where Robinhood, one of the companies that allows you to buy stocks, shut it, shut down the opportunity to invest in the stocks so that um, these mutual funds uh, couldn't lose a ton of money, like the, uh, the managers of these accounts, because they would basically try to do these short sales to uh, profit for themselves, but Reddit investors found this this that they were doing this loophole. And then, yeah, basically caused some... They made themselves money, and, and uh, for better or worse, really for worse, for, for the public it was terrible because uh, it was an opportunity for everyday people to, I guess, make money, and then Wall Street... Uh, kind of close that opportunity down. But anyways, not to get on too much of a tangent, uh, Reddit investors using GameStop proceeds to help to protect uh, animals. So they protected uh, gorillas, elephants, turtles, all sorts of endangered animals. And, uh, I mean, you can't really find much better of a, a story, right? I, this was um, This was really neat to see the community of reddit i mean a lot of online communities don't i mean a lot of a lot of online communities are toxic let's just put it like that so um really cool to be to see that it's the wall street bets members that uh, specifically did this so yeah just thought i'd share that one with you now we're on the last one here so this one is from the guardian and the headline is millions sign up for anti-food waste apps to share their unused produce. And with the average UK family throwing out 730 pounds of surplus items a year, eco-conscious consumers have found a high-tech fix. This is actually uh, the challenge of the episode, I think, at the end of the episode that I'm going to make. And actually, before I forget, I'm just going to mention it now. Challenge of the episode is to use one of these apps. They mention Olio, O-L-I-O, or Too Good To Go. And these are oper- uh, places where you can uh, consumers can pay a heavily discounted price for food and meals um, that would otherwise be discarded. So that's uh, kind of a, a unique little uh, app that I thought 
I should start to use myself because, I mean, I'm not going to lie. We just threw out some food from our frozen section today. So, yeah, no, that's really, really informative. Um, you learn something every day that, I mean, applications, basically, there's an app for everything, right? So feel free to be resourceful, and I think that that's really great. So there was a lot of news that we just went over. Um, I'm hoping that this episode came off exciting, entertaining, a lot of uh, good stuff. I didn't feel fully like myself today, if I'm being honest. It just coming off of a few weeks, it's hard to record and go through so much that really didn't have to do with each other. So I guess I'm just kind of speaking out loud at this point how I'm feeling about the episode, but hopefully you guys liked it. As uh, as I mentioned earlier, the newsletter, there's going to be another 10 articles. So if you want to uh, find out a little bit more about what else is going on, feel free to subscribe to the newsletter, as we said earlier in the episode. With that said, we are going to take a pause and wrap up with the conclusion. I wanted to take a second to thank you for listening, and I hope that this podcast is eye-opening and helpful for you. I created a weekly newsletter, which you can find in the show notes, to create a curation of articles that I don't have a chance to talk about on the podcast, but I still think that they're going to be great topics for you to know about. These articles will specifically be about climate change and carbon neutrality, just as the podcast is. The newsletter will be written in TLDR form, or Too Long Don't Read. That way you can get a gist of what happened in the space, but I will also be linking the articles. That way you can click to see those as well. You will only get one email per week sent out every Friday, and it will contain between three to five summarized articles. That way you don't feel overwhelmed. This newsletter will be one of the easiest ways for you to stay in the know. So make sure to click in the show notes to sign up for the newsletter. All right, so let's wrap up this episode. As I mentioned, go on the App Store today. This is the challenge for the episode. Go on the App Store, find an app that can help you to get rid of any food that is about to go bad. I mean, for a lot of us, we bought a lot of food early on in the pandemic that we never ate, and I'm sure... Uh, many of us let that go bad. We were able to donate our food. And so whether you donate your food, that's another great option. Uh, many people are in need or you just use one of those apps to, you know, not make a ton of money, but just get rid of the food to people that can use it. Either way is really awesome. Um, with that said, next week we're going to be talking about hydrogen as we were uh, initially going to be planning on doing so. And I look forward to recording that for you guys. Thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. It's been really exciting to see it grow. Uh, as always, leave a five-star review. You guys will help plant a tree. And I will see you guys in the next episode.